Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. My name is Akego Koye, and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Amal Hassan, founder and CEO of Outsource Global, a leading business process outsourcing company in Nigeria, serving clients on four continents. Amal set up the first IT training center in Kano. She successfully trained hundreds of people and realized that there was an even bigger problem. There were no jobs. The creation of jobs and empowerment of her people became her driving force. Let's get into it. Hi, Amal. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi, Akego. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, as a young girl, you know, in when I was in high school, I, history was my best subject. And I was so fascinated with the ancient empires and ancient kingdoms in, in Nigeria, you know, Kano being one of them. And I know that you were born and raised in Kano. So I was just mm-hmm. wondering what it was like growing up in such an, an ancient and historic city. Yeah, thank you very much again for having me. I think growing up, I grew up, uh, I was born and brought up, yes, in Kano from a traditional Fulani, I can call it House of Fulani home. Uh, it's actually a very large family mm. of 28 children. Wow. And yes, my my father had three wives. One died before, uh, shortly after I was born. And we, we are kind of a very close family setting where the tradition, uh, the, the Hausa and Fulani tradition is, and the religious, Islamic religious is, is instilled on us, but also education is something that is very, very important for our father. Hmm. Uh, he was the grand caddy of Kano, very well educated. He's a, he has a doctorate degree. Uh, my father's name is Dr. Hassan Gwarzo, so he's highly he promotes education in the north, not only in Kano. So you can imagine that his children will be educated in both the Western education mm-hmm. and the Islamic education. So I was brought up in that setting. And uh, each and every one of us, both males and females, are educated. I have sisters that are doctors, lawyers, uh, engineers, <laughs> you know, from all, you know, kind of uh, profession. So this is the kind of environment that I was brought up. Interesting. So I know that you went to a a federal government college. We call them unity schools. Um, for, for people who are not familiar with these types of schools in Nigeria, they're schools where they try to bring people from different parts of the of the country together. Boarding school system where you interact with you know, people from the South and, and, and all that. And I know you went to one of such schools and I wonder what that experience was like for you. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's, it was a very, very great experience for me. So before, before my set within our family, we have sets, as you know, we are, we are a large family. All my other sisters went to a missionary school that is St. Louis uh, missionary school. So our father made sure at that time if, uh, that we all went to the best schools. And then the next set, which started from me, 
was we we went to uh, federal school. So uh, I have some other brothers that went to FGC Kano, and we I I I went to FGC Kazori. And actually, I keep on telling people is one of the things that was great about Nigeria at that time because it promotes unity. We right. have well, one of my very good friends uh, is Ibo. And uh, I found out from that I have this connection to the Igbo <laughs> people. And uh, uh, from that time, there was, I understood the Igbo culture, I understood the Yoruba culture from, uh, you know, the Unity School. Being friends with someone is not based on, you're from the same place, is based on probably your your value system or your interests are aligned. So mm. you're... you're conference based on that not because of your religion or your i remember then we used to go to the mosque uh and she my friend Chidima used to hold my bag while i entered the mosque <laughs> and she paid for me inside and i used to go with with uh with uh, her and our other friend lillian to church and we used to you know, um, you know, during occasions, uh, and they used—I used to hold their bag and wait for them and things like that. So it was really very beautiful setting. The Unity School setting, whoever created it, is thought really well about Nigeria's unity, yeah. and it, it's really something that promotes understanding between and tolerance between cultures and religions, which is something that we are losing now in Nigeria and something that should be looked at critically yeah. from that, you know, from that age, because that is the age where you form yourself, hmm. you form your values. I enjoyed secondary school. <laughs> I, still, <laughs> I still dream about it. We really had fun. It was, right. it, 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 of course, it was a difficult period where you fetch water and things like that. But the kind of knowledge and understanding that uh, and education that you have is not just books. Right. It's also you, you, you got educated about other cultures, what they want, what they believe, how their households are. Uh, you know, my friends, uh, parents will come visiting her. We all go and sit with them and see how they behave among themselves, how mm. Igbo people are when it comes to showing love to their children, which was really something in the north that you know we we really don't portray well. And this is something that we just learned at that time. And we see different cultures and sort of at that time, I used to be wowed about what their school setting and how they they treat each other. How their mother is very expressive when it comes to the way she's expressing love, which in house. In our own tradition, a, a child is supposed to be a child of the society. So the mother is not usually the one that shows direct love. Right. You know, <laughs> the other people in the society are the ones that will show love to the child mostly. So, so you know, you find out that you learn a lot from from that, and uh, it's something that is really missing in Nigeria. Hmm. So, so have yeah. you been to the east? Are you still friends with Chidema today? <laughs> Yeah, we, we're still friends, not the way we were before. I have other Igbo friends. I've made so many other Igbo friends. Uh, my two business partners are Igbo. Okay. Uh, we have businesses in the South, and I go to the South uh, a lot. I've been to Nsuka. I've been wow. to... 
I've been to Abakiliki, I've been to Enugu, I've been to so many places in the South that right now I can't think of. Uh, I've been to Isikwato, I was wow. named Hadjana of Isikwato during my business partner's uh, mother's burial ceremony. Uh, so we are quite a very close uh, partners. Our families are very close. I'm close with his wife and mother. His mother, uh, my business partner's mother, named me uh, Adama. That is her first daughter. Yes. So, so it's 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 really it's really good. Oh, that's lovely. I'm, I'm from Osaka, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've been to, to my to my to my town. I, I need to yeah. to come yeah. to Kano so that uh, <laughs> yeah, I need to do that. Um, so yeah, that's that's a very interesting story, and, and I must I must agree. And uh, with the with your description of of Unity schools, I also went to to a Unity school, and and I and I still feel the impact of it today with the friendships that we made then. Um, so, so going back to, to your story, so you finished secondary school and, um, I understand that you wanted to study medicine and applied yeah. to university to study medicine, but then they asked you to come and study business administration. Yes. When you're, when you're choosing your, your subject during YA, they will always tell you to pick economics as a backup, sort of. So I'm, I was a complete science student with all the science subjects. I was very good in all of them. Uh, I, I loved chemistry, physics, biology. Uh, but, you know, when I finished uh, univer- um, secondary school and I applied for medicine, that was the plan for me to be a medical doctor. And I felt at that time that I would have been a very good medical doctor, all mm. you know. But uh, BUK did not give me medicine, so because of the economics that I have passed among the my white courses, they said they could give me business admin. And uh, at that time, I, I was just told to collect it because otherwise I would have to wait another year. Mm. Uh, and then reapply. So I took business admin without actually knowing what to do with it. But now I understand God's plan towards my life right. because I'm being a businesswoman and have applied. Well, I went back to do my master's because I didn't really concentrate throughout university. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, so I, I, I think. Um, you know, sometimes you have your own plan, but God will have a better plan for right. you. So I finished uh, the business admin. So by the time I finished, I I got married at the first year in the first year of college. Okay, I had my daughter towards the end of the first uh, beginning of the first semester of uh, year two. And by the time I finished, I have two kids. I've already given birth to my wow. second, second, my son. And uh, uh, my first child is a daughter. And then, so when I finished, I didn't know what to do with my life. My husband keeps on asking me, what do you want to do with your life? And I keep on telling him, I don't know. I don't know. So I did, when I finished just while away time, I did basic computing skills, hmm. you know. I remember that uh, my husband had to pay one Indian who is our neighbor to actually teach me basic computing skills. And by the time I finished, I wanted to do more. 
but there isn't any organized training center that could give me more. So I, I got connected to NIT through a very long story mm-hmm. and I studied MCSE and we came back and set up uh, the first organized training center in Kano, that is NIIT. Okay, so let me just let me just pause and go back a little. So, so you 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 got married as you started university uh, university. And, yeah, first year. And and I know that because of because we're African women and and culture plays a big role in in our daily lives and the choices that we make. Um, it was interesting for me to hear that you 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 finished secondary school, got married. For a lot of of women, you know, after they get married, you know, that probably is they just start to to raise children. But you went back to to university. You still had children in the process. Completed your degree, and and yeah. how were you able to balance the the expect the cultural expectations and your personal desire to you know? to make something of your yourself professionally? Um, so I, I think because one of the things that has really contributed to that positively was the fact that I was really young and energy, energetic and hardworking. Mm-hmm. So I, like I mentioned earlier, I was brought up uh, in a very traditional house of Fulani setting right. where... Uh, the whole tradition of taking care of a husband and taking care of a home was taught really, really well to us. So I made sure I did that well. I could cook well. I can still cook, I think, <laughs> very well. <laughs> very well. I was taking care of my husband. I was doing everything at that time. But one of the things that I had that was really good for me was also the fact that I was studying in Kano and my parents are in Kano. And I have a very, very supportive husband. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of had a lot of family support, which is something that we have very well in the mm-hmm. North. You find out that you have sisters, because I came from a very large family. You have sisters that have finished uh, secondary school waiting for university that can come and help you before they start their own university. Or I drop the kids sometimes at home and go to... Uh, university sometimes I take uh, I remember that sometimes I take my daughter my husband before he goes to to work when he moved to Kano briefly uh, um, before he goes to work he would drop us in the university and I would take my daughter to the hostel where my friends stay and because my friends are not they don't like reading very well <laughs> I would drop my daughter and her bag and run away and they will be going around looking for me <laughs> with my child, and I will be hiding in the library trying to read. So I was very young and uh, a bit stupid, but uh, <laughs> but I somehow managed to do do it uh, very well. I juggled. I tried to really uh, conserve the tradition where I took care of my husband very well because he also took care of me very well. So we, we tried between the two of us to balance it. And of course, the family support really helped. I had sisters coming in, nieces coming in. I was dropping uh, my daughter at my parents, you know. So, so I was able to sort of juggle right. between all that. 
and be able to get educated at the same That's time. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, so you, you go to Lagos, you do this um, IT training, and then you come back to Canada and decide that you want to set up a training facility, um, which turns out to be your first business. So, so how long did it take you to set it up and uh, how did you fund it? You know, and, and what was the experience like? Okay, so actually, before I went to Lagos, I actually, there's someone who had already the NIT license. So as you know, NIT is an IT training center, mm -hmm. is an Indian uh, franchise, uh, that, uh, franchiser that uh, gives you license to, 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 you can use the, you can buy their license right. and teach all these courses from Microsoft, Oracle, Comtia, Linux, because you wouldn't have the money to actually buy the Microsoft, Oracle, you know, all the owners of technology right. licenses. So they have Minas license, they buy it, and then the franchise, you 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 buy their license and, and teach according to their, their the way they set up trainings and all that. So there is someone who already has the license but could not set up uh the training center so i we he initially it was sort of an employment kind of setting right. and then i later took over uh, and bought shares and 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 established the training center uh you know from the scratch it took us it, it did not take us time we we only had um, a space which he had and the license and we started advertising the NIT courses because NIT supports you to actually establish the centers. Mm -hmm. uh, so once you buy the license, you're entitled to uh, the technical reference manual of how to teach and they send in people to help you mm -hmm. teach and transition to the training. So we actually registered people. I remember that we registered people. Uh, we, we went door to door wow. <laughs> trying to people to buy uh, to to register the courses and you know nit courses were not cheap because nit has its own fees oracle has its own fees either microsoft has its own depending on the techno i mean the training you're offering mm -hmm. um, so so basically that's um, that's it so we started with just 10 computers and uh, within a very short time we grew to 60 wow. uh, 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 after a while, we brought in other partners uh, and and tried to expand the business. You know, so after a while, we trained a lot of IT professionals. Mm. At some point, I felt you know, uh, you know, I felt it's we're, we're not changing their lives. So they come in, they pay a lot of money and study Oracle, Comtia, Linux, and all right. that back to where they were before they came to us. So I started researching on what I could do to create employment mm. for those people. And um, I looked at India because I was dealing with India because of NIIT. Yeah. I looked at India and, um, uh, and, and realized that business process outsourcing provides millions of jobs to Indians. And at the time that I was researching, it, it provided about 2.2 million jobs. And I looked at the parameters for outsourcing. Uh, we have, in Nigeria, we have very good infrastructure. 
We have very good educated workforce. We have better time zones than India. We have, you know, we speak English very well. We have a large educated workforce that can speak English better than Indians. And I said, why not? Why not Nigeria? So I started moving towards establishing the company. So it took me eight years to start the company. (laughs) I started it four times. (laughs) I sold all my I sold all my uh, shares in in the training center, okay. and uh, uh, we sold. We basically moved on with the uh, with the company, and uh, I, I I started it in Kano. We were given a place in ICT Park. Then it was a government initiative. Uh, we were so excited about it. A lot of problems happened with the ICT park. We had to move. I had to. We had. I had to move to Kaduna. When I say move, it means that I packed my family. Meanwhile, in between uh, un- finishing university, establishing NIT, and getting to this position, I have two adult, two oh, other wow. kids. So I ended up with four kids. Uh, and then this business that I'm trying to do. So I had to pack my four children and my family and move to Kaduna, teamed up with another investor. Let me let me pause you, Amal, let me pause you for a minute. So so when you started the company, when you decided to start the first time you started in Kano, yeah. was it called um, Outsource Global at that time? Okay, no, it was called Kipsos. Okay, so but it's still the same idea. You're trying to start a business process outsourcing company. Yes. What was the the particular challenge that made it fail in Kano the first time? So, so in Kano, it was mainly investment and the fact that the whole idea was set up to to exist within the ICT park, okay. right? So, a government initiative where. We have sold the idea to the commissioner of ICT at that time in Kano. So this is something that will create a lot of employment for the people. It will bring in foreign direct investment. The GDP of Kano is going to improve because we are going to earn foreign exchange and all that. So, so we had ICT hub and a four call floor third floor of the ICT hub that would take about 350 people to start the center. So what we did from our own side, we partnered with an American uh, company, consultancy company that provides this kind of research on how to establish companies like this. So BPO there, uh, the name of the company is called Avacent. They came into Nigeria, they did a complete blueprint on right. how to set it up because obviously I can have the idea, but how do I compete with India? How do I compete with Philippines? How do I set it up according to international standard? How do I use the existing infrastructure and resources available right. in Nigeria to be able to do it better than India and compete with India? So they came in, we paid a lot of money to them. Uh, they came in and they did a complete research and the blueprint, you know, uh, of how to set it up according to, uh, you know, international standard. So because ICT Park could, did not happen, whatever we invested in the ICT Park was 
you know, period, and um, we had to we had to move on, and uh, because we had to start all over again, because I had to start all over again, I had to get another investor. So we did a research based on their research. They said Kaduna is the best at that time is the best place to actually establish a BPO center because we are also going to recruit a lot of experts and they're very good and better schools in Kaduna than uh, than Kano and it's a better environment is in between Abuja and Kano and uh, uh, Abuja being the capital it should it should be very easy for 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 clients come to Abuja and travel to Kaduna right. and all all that so they felt Kaduna is the best place to actually set up a BPO and then uh, the investor at, at that time also proposed that it, it has to be in, in Kaduna okay. and so I packed my bag packed my family four little them. children <laughs> four children and a husband uh, of course my husband lives in Lagos so he comes into Kano anyway every weekend so we just moved uh, I just moved the kids and myself and then um, it didn't happen in Kaduna wow. right uh, I would call that an investor problem okay we got to almost 70 percent completion with the building there was a building that was bought for this uh, the infrastructure everything was being set up we got to almost 70 percent completion I had to pack my bag and start all over again. Wow. So um, I packed my bag, moved to Abuja. Abuja. At that, <laughs> at that time, I did another research uh, based on fiber optics, based on a lot of things, and it is actually better for, for the company to be in Abuja. There, there's one that we started in between that we set up uh, with the same investor, we had a problem with the building and the landlord, and we were pushed out. Wow. So it's still the same company that we moved to, and we started all over again. So for me, fourth time was the charm. Can I just ask, what? How did you stay motivated in in this whole eight eight year period? So for me, one one I get this question a lot, and one of the things that I feel was a big motivator to me was the fact that I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't doing it to make money, sort of. It wasn't, money was not the main focus. The main focus was creation of employment. And I have seen the business. I have seen it all on paper. I've seen what it can do. And I've researched, I've looked at all the other BPO centers in India, how they have impacted on the lives of the people they have employed on the region right. of how we have changed a, uh, an entire society changes with just BPO. So, so for me, it wasn't about me. So I keep on trying right. and fail on trying and trying again because I always tell myself, it doesn't matter how many times I need to try it again. I know it will go live at the right time because I actually will continue doing my best to do it, but I rely 100% on God. So a lot of people would tell me that there is no way an American company would outsource a segment of its business to a Nigerian company. So yes, it has never been done. 
uh, Nigeria is not a well-known outsourcing destination, is not a known outsourcing destination. Mm. I'm in it, but I always tell myself that if I rely on God and continue doing what I'm doing, it will finally happen. And that's what actually happened. For once, I've never thought of giving up. For once, I've never thought of giving up because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how many times it fails. It was about the fact that once it goes live, the mm. impact it will make is huge. So, so I have to make it go live. And that's what I was focused about. Thank you, know. thank you for thank you for staying committed. Thank you for staying committed. That's that's fantastic. So you go live in 2016, and your focus is building this local company with, you know, serving serving a global market. So tell us about global outsource um, outsource global. So we went live with all these problems that I just told you about. We went live June 2016 with a domestic client. Uh, we went live June 2016, but I had no idea how to bring in an American right. business. I had no idea how to how to go and get an American business. So all these problems that I was telling you about is actually setup issues because, of course, we realized from day one that we have to set it up according to international standard with the right technology, with the right infrastructure, with everything, with the right processes. I had to bring in someone from Canada to actually help me set it up according to, and of course, with the help of that American company to help me set it up according to that standard that will position the company to compete with all these best centers in India. I wasn't even looking at the average centers, the best centers in right. India. So even after setting up that, I had no idea how to bring in an American client. So I sat down one day in my office and trying to, of course, the American company that we have contracted, Avasant, is there. And we're brainstorming on what strategy to use, what social media strategy to use, what, what marketing strategy to use. But I knew that I had to just pack my bag and just go to the U.S. and try to find somebody that will connect me with somebody that will give right. me business. So I was sitting down in my office when one day one of our lawyers called me and said, there's this guy who said he, is, he knows your dad. Uh, he was in Nigeria in the 80s. Uh, he was in Kano, and your dad helped him and all that and all that. He would like to meet you. So I said, fine, uh, you know, let him come. So he came to the office, and I showed him around. This is what I'm trying to do. He said, I'm a very close friend of your father's. Uh, your father helped a lot of people during Peace Corps, and there are a lot of people in the U.S. that will be willing to help you, um, you know. So I'm going to go back to the U.S. Uh, I'm trying to create a... Um, a program in John Hopkins University called Economic Reconstruction of Northern Nigeria in, in Washington. Well, I will invite you to speak, and then a lot of people will be there, and then it will be a good selling point for right. you. So, so he created this program in John Hopkins University, and I packed my bag, went to the U.S., and I presented uh, to them, this is what I feel, BPO is what will change Northern Nigeria. And uh, if we focus on BPO, it, it will change, it will create a lot of employment, it will change the region, it will do this, it will do that. So one of them, one of the students of uh, that guy got up and said, 
if you can come with me to San Francisco, uh, he owns a very large company in San Francisco. If you can come with me to San Francisco, I'll create, uh, I'll introduce you to a lot of people and it's up to you to sell. Right. So I said, fine, when do we go to San Francisco? <laughs> he said, I'm going, I'm going back tonight. But if you can meet me by Wednesday in San Francisco, it was a Monday. So by the next day, I was booking my tickets. I was packing my bag and I was moving, going to San Francisco. So I went to San Francisco and he introduced me to a lot of people, mm. about 15 people, you know, 15 different companies, people. I was just, he was just setting up meetings for me. So I met each and every one of those people and each and every one of them was telling me the same thing. Nigeria is not a known outsourcing destination. Yes, you have this video of your company. It's set up well. The processes are being set up well. Your ideas are in the right place. But you've never done it, you know. So how can we move operations from well-known outsourcing destination, well-known experienced people to you in Nigeria, you know. So so until I was connected to the to the last person, to the 15th person. Wow. But before I, I spoke to him, I told myself, this is how I'm going to sell. So by the time I got to him, I, uh, I told him, see, look, I know I'm inexperienced. I told him all the things that all those other 15 people said. I know I'm inexperienced. I know Nigeria is not a known outsourcing destination. Give me five customer service seats free of charge if you don't like it you walk away. I'm going to give you for three months, I'll, I'll take care of connectivity, take care of everything. If you don't like it, you walk wow. away. So he said, I have nothing to lose, but he gave me 10 seats. So I came back to Nigeria, put the best accent. <laughs> I put, <laughs> I got the best 10 people with the best accent, American accent. And then within a very short time, we proved each and every one of them wrong. He, that client now has over 300 seats with wow. us. And uh, we're doing different processes. So we have today created, it's not just call center, it's, just not, it's not just uh, telemarketing and customer service. We are also doing uh, legal services. We take lawyers in the US, right. uh, we take lawyers in Nigeria, and they work under lawyers in the U.S. to solve actual U.S. cases. We currently have about 70 lawyers serving the U.S. market from Nigeria. Wow. We have uh, people that are working on medical records. We take people with science background uh, uh, that are able to work on medical records, and they, they process a lot of medical records for hospitals and companies in the U.S. We have uh, started doing software development as a service. We've trained people based on the needs of companies in Silicon Valley, and uh, they provide services for those companies. We have started doing artificial intelligence as a service. So we, we, are, we are currently training, uh, doing a lot of machine learning jobs, speech recognition softwares and stuff like that. And we are taking people to actually do that. So we've changed the entire business model from the India-Philippine model right. of vendor relationship to a partnership where the focus of our organization or the focus of our business is to partner with the company to try and reduce cost 
and increase revenue for, for them. So the focus is to reduce cost and increase revenue. And uh, whatever process we can take away from your company will find the right skill set in Nigeria to match that process, which will allow you to reduce a lot of costs if you're taking that those people in, in, in the US or UK or Japan, you'll be paying a lot of money for them, but you're getting it cheaper because labor is very cheap in Nigeria and it's a win-win situation. So we're doing that and the company grew from one center to three centers now. We have, uh, I've gone back to Kaduna. to (laughs) So we have a head office in Abuja. We have another office in Kaduna and a small center in Lagos. So we are currently over 850 employees serving three different markets. But because uh, we're serving US, UK, and Japan, uh, because of artificial intelligence, we have partners in in almost all the European countries. We have a partner in France. We have a partner in Germany. We have a partner in Sweden. We have a partner in Palestine. Uh, You know, so we are trying to really create this working culture where Nigerians are able to work better than even the people working in the U.S. So, you know, so let me pause. A little That's fantastic. You know, and, and how do you ensure this, your staff are able to maintain the value? You're serving multiple clients in multiple countries with multiple values and service levels. So how do you make sure there's something you're probably doing right that's allowing you to grow your business so quickly? So how do you make sure your staff maintain the, the right level of service for all these different clients. Yeah, so 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 it's 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 very easy, and that's why we said we're changing the model. So usually for India and Philippines, the model is we know it just give us the process, and we just take and you pay us per hour per se. So what we with what we have established, that's why I said from the beginning we we did a very good. We paid money for for a research that showed us how to do it better than India and Philippines. And one of the things that we have put in place is the right process to actually serve each and every company better. So from the recruitment, from, right. from the way we recruit, we take the best from the best. We can put like 200 people on, an, <laughs> on a recruitment process and we take like 10% of those people. So we bring in the best. And even after we bring you in, you go through seven different exams. They they go through our four core values where we, we take only people with those four core values and we put them on a training that is the client training, right? So we work with the clients even sometimes during the selection. There are some clients that will prefer that, right? They will select their own candidate, just like the way they are recruiting in the U.S., is the same way they will recruit the people that we are going to put on their process. Right. And they would, a lot of them would train people just like the way they would employ people in the US. So our job is to bring in the right candidates that are trainable by the okay. clients. And that's why it's a partnership, right? So they would train them the way they want to be served. And then on our own side, we would ensure that the performance metrics are met. All I needed to be was actually to be patient. So when I'm talking to people and I'm advising them and I'm advising them in this way, so you may lose time at that time, but once it starts happening, 
you would gain that time back and much more. So all you need to do, all you have to do is endure and rely totally on God. Because, you know, um, it's, it, it's a lot of people would say that, um, I mean, a lot of people advised me that there is no way this company can happen. There is no way. I always say in my mind, but God can make them give me. If an American company cannot, would not give a Nigerian company, God can make an American company give me. I just need to stay right. true to what I'm doing. I need to keep doing what I'm doing. To actually, you know, achieve that. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amal. That's very, very inspiring. Um, so you're, you're part of, of the Fortune U.S. State Department Global Women's Mentoring Partnership. I hope I got that right. Yes, you did. Um, so how did you get into the program and how has that impacted you personally and professionally? Yeah, thank you very much. for That's a very good question. So um, there was a time a U.S. ambassador visited our center when we were at 350 people. Uh, he visited our center in Kaduna, he, the U.S. ambassador to Nigeria. His name is Stewart uh, Simonton. Uh, he wrote a story about me and company in the U.S. Embassy website. So after that, in 2018, uh, about uh, they, they invited me to be among the 16 women to participate in this program. So the way the program works is they select 16 women around the world that are doing remarkable things that will impact in their different economies and they're making mm. a, a huge impact in their in their societies, and they choose this woman based on that criteria and many more. So the way the program is supposed to work, or the, the, the way the program works is is they, they identify your business, they identify that you're making an impact, and you would make even much more impact if they come in and they give you a gap training. So that, that they, they, they do an analysis of where you are, and the kind of training, gap training, they will give you to actually do more. And uh, I was selected among the 16 women that is participating in the program. It's one of the most interesting programs I have attended. Uh, I was taken to Washington. Uh, we, were tra- we were given a one-week training in the way U.S. government works, how, how the program works, the support that... We, we we can we are able to access or we can access within uh, the U.S. government um, uh, programs, and then we uh, now we uh, we were moved to some of us were moved to our mentor company. So our company is selected for you based on the gap training and a mentor who is part of the U.S. Fortune Most Powerful Women will be selected to be your mentor to actually help you grow your business, you know. So um, it was, it, it is, it, it is a very, it was a very interesting program. I was attached to a company called Younger Rubicom. It's a very big uh, media company in New York. And the chief client officer, uh, Shelly Diamond, was my mentor. And I was introduced, I, 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 I was sort of working in that company to learn how they, they promote, how to promote my business. Uh, because what was missing was 
that the story and the social media and the media aspect and the selling of my business was really not realistic at the time that the program met me because I was right. sort of door to deal selling. There was no way that uh, the business can expand with that kind of marketing and selling. And that's what the program gave me. It has really impacted uh, in our business in the sense that I was connected to the Fortune Most Powerful Woman. Uh, I have the network of the 16 women and, uh, you know, so many other women I've met, um, I've, met, uh, I've met a lot of them that are, are C-level executives or owners of businesses that are willing to give me business. So, so it, it's really made a huge impact in our business. Besides that, uh, that program also gave me another publicity. After participating okay. in that program, I was invited to speak at the UNGA. Uh, okay. and uh, a roundtable discussion of world leaders. Bill Gates was part of it. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the, the Canadian Prime Minister, UK Prime Minister Theresa May was there. So there were about 20 of us, and I was invited to actually speak at that event to, uh, uh, to speak about creation of employment in Africa. So that right. program also gave me that kind of publicity and it continues to give me, I have access to all those people. Any company that I see in the US that I want to have contact, I can always call any one of those contacts and try to get them to open those kind of doors, which is what the program was supposed to do for me. Okay, that's excellent. So again, again on, on staffing, I noticed from your website that you say there's a 50-50 gender balance yes. um, at Outsource Global, which um, congratulations on that. But how have you managed to, to, to achieve that? Because not a lot of companies in Nigeria or in Africa can say that. So, so, so thank you very much. So we make a, a very huge effort to actually recruit women because, uh, of course, the call center environment is, is the kind of, after introducing our four core values, you find out that women really have a lot of those, four, those values when it comes to nurturing people. So a call center environment, for instance, the voice and calls, is actually based on on motherly nature. And that's the kind of leadership we're trying to portray. Uh, in outsource, we're not trying to portray this authoritarian kind of leadership. We're trying to portray motivation and motivating people to work in a, in a human way where people would love to work within the organization. So uh, yes, a lot of females have applied to outsource. Uh, we take a lot, most of our leaders are women. Um, uh, our COO is a woman, uh, Nuseiba. Uh, our operations director is a woman. Our head of uh, accounts is a woman. Head of HR is a woman. Wow. We have community and IT uh, that uh, are men. That's members of management. And you find out all the middle management, we have more positions like team lead positions uh, are women because promotion is not based on on the traditional way of promotion where only people with confidence and people that are able to sell themselves. So you find out that the natural 
quality of men is they are very confident and they're able to sell themselves, which as women, our natural quality is not to do that. So, so you find out that if you put scorecard rating and the four core values as a major for promotion, now we found ourselves promoting more women than men, meaning that they fit into that criteria that that algorithm that we have designed for promotion. So we have, at the end of the day, found ourselves with more women than men. That's, That's interesting. That's interesting. So my final question to all my guests is, what's next yeah. for Amal? What's next for you? Yeah, thank you very much for that question. I've been trying to think what's next for me. There are a lot of things that are next for me. <laughs> In terms of outsource, we've made Nigeria an outsourcing destination, and we're trying to make Nigeria the premier outsourcing destination. We're trying to create employment for over 6,000 people within the next five years, within outsource. So in terms of the group and all our companies, we're trying to to use technology to change Nigeria. So, so with all the other companies, all our companies are impacting in, in the economy of this country. And our plan, our dream, uh, which is not too far, is to change this country, to use technology to do that. So with Outsource, we're using technology to create employment. With uh, another company of ours, we're using technology to automate healthcare and uh, in, in federal hospitals. In another company, we're using technology to create a, a, an impact within education. So we are trying to use this to actually change this country. And that's what's next for us to change Nigeria, to impact in the economy of this country. We believe we can do that and we will work towards doing awesome. that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amal. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. That was Amal Hassan, founder and CEO of Outsource Global. Different things drive people to entrepreneurship, from the desire to do more with a passion, to the frustration of problems and the desire to find solutions. In a country as populous as Nigeria, the lack of jobs is a major problem. We celebrate people like Amal, who through sheer grit and determination are not only creating jobs, but repositioning Nigeria as a premier destination for the outsourcing of business processes. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, please leave us a review. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.